Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. One more time with a hand clap of praise, can we magnify the Lord? He is the great I Am. Thank you for grace and thank you for mercy. Praise the Lord. What a privilege to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday evening. Light for living. My goodness, it's refreshing to feel the Holy Ghost, ain't it? I, I, I can't imagine why everybody in the world wouldn't want to feel like this on a, on a Wednesday evening. Praise the Lord. It is good to be with you this evening. If I may add to our prayer list, if you would remember the Mathis family, and if you would remember the Frierson family, um, facing some difficult seasons in their life, and just add them to your prayer list. Amen. How many is glad to be in the house tonight? Praise God. I want to preach to us this evening from this title. Uh, we're going to the book of Numbers, chapter 10. Actually going to read several scriptures tonight, but uh, if you'll be patient with me. I want to preach to us from when plenty becomes dangerous. When plenty becomes dangerous. Let, let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for the spirit that I have already felt in this place. Thankful that the Holy Ghost moves and stirs and shapes and forms us, God. And what we need right now is for your spirit to continue to move, move in our hearts and move in our minds and help us to receive the word that goes forth. Help us to hear what thus saith the Lord, not only to hear, to but respond to what you would have for our lives tonight. Praise the Lord in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor. Tell him how glad you are to see him tonight. Praise the Lord. Numbers 10, verse 11. When you have that, say amen. And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. And they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now I know this is familiar scriptures to us all, but I, I'm trying to just real quickly lay a foundation. And if you will move with me to the book of, stay in Numbers and go to chapter 11. Numbers 11 and we'll begin with 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Tabera, and because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. 
And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as a coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of patellum. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in meals or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. I understand that we all have crossed this path many times in this journey, but again, if you'll just lend me your attention for a few minutes this evening, I want to talk to us uh, from this subject when, 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 there, when plenty becomes dangerous. For those of us who live in America, the idea of a plague or a or famine is almost foreign, especially for those of my generation and perhaps even the generation uh, behind me. But however, our history uh, has been marked by plagues. There have been plagues of sickness. We've had typhoid fever that raged uh, through our nation many, you know, a long time ago. Chicken pots and measles. There's been plagues of violence, civil wars, and with civil rights movement. There's been financial plagues. The Great Depression, interestingly enough, was called the Plague of Plenty because that was the problem. There was mass production. Uh, of both agriculture and factory goods and with mass production there came a decrease in demand and no demand means no production and that means unemployment which was is what led to the financial collapse so we have plagues in our history but for most of us in this house tonight uh we, we can only read about them. We have no memory of them. And I say respectfully to our elders this evening, there, there may be some that have experienced or was a part of the Great Depression. And that era knew what it was to literally have nothing. If you ate, you ate because you worked for it. There was no money. I could remember many stories that my grandfather would tell me about not being any money. You just worked for your food and you traded and bartered and got by the best you could. And this evening I don't want to come across as being blunt. However, I do want to be direct uh, in order to make my point clear and understandable. I believe that this apostolic movement is on the edge of experiencing a plague or a famine. Let me explain and be perfectly clear what I'm talking about. This famine is hard to recognize. It's even challenging because it isn't as tangible as a, as a physical famine where you might see the showing of ribs or, or, you know, some malnutrition or weakness in the body or the lack of water thereof. No, what I'm referring to this evening is a spiritual famine. It's real and it's prevalent in our hour. I submit to you that as a movement, Christianity as a whole, but more importantly, I want to be specific tonight about us, apostolic Pentecostals. We are on the edge of a plague or famine. And as you said, Jay, you've, what are you talking about? You, you've lost it. We've never had it so good. The worship has never been better. The, the preaching has never been better. The, uh, the singing, everything about church, this is, this is as good as it gets. However, I, I want to tell you that I believe that the famine is upon us. And if we're not careful, 
it can so quickly and so easily take residence with us and begin to set its roots in our lives and it can set roots in the church. This is a famine of spiritual nature. The symptoms are there. They're all around us if we know what to look for. See, sometimes you see it in a, a glazed over look in the eyes, a lack of passion or the lack of participation or anticipation for worship, the lack of concern for fellow saints, the lack of action or response to the presence of God when he is moving so mighty and powerful, the lack of obedience to the word of God and the lack of any discipline at all when it comes to study or meditating on God's word. Treating church gatherings like they have no significance and no importance at all. Oh, well, it doesn't matter if I show up to the, to the adult game night. Who, who cares if we participate in Fifth Sunday or not? Uh, please understand me. I, I am not casting stones or judging by no shape, form, or imagination tonight, but I do want to remind us that the Word give us a commandment. See, assembling together was so important that we was commanded, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You see, all the signs of a famine, it can be felt, it can be seen. And, at the, and the last thing I want to be accused of this evening is stepping to this desk with a gloom and doom sermon. But what I have felt in my spirit all week from God and, and through prayer is that I must guard myself and take action now before this famine for this famine takes up residence in my life. You ask anybody who would be completely honest with you about being in a state, being in a backslidden state, and the first thing that happens is just to withdraw from the church. Don't participate in anything. Uh, just dip in and dip out every now and then. But we can take steps. And what I'm preaching to us tonight about is, as a church body, that we've got to stand against this. We've got to stand against the enemy and stand against what he is trying to bring into the church. We can take steps to stop the long-term terrifying implications of what the enemy is trying to do, not only to individuals, but as to a church body as a whole. I have opened with this text and these comments to bring us to this point. The famine that is, that is at the doorstep comes from a direct result of a plague. The plague has given birth to the famine that wants to insinuate itself into our lives and into the church body. Much like the financial plague uh, that our nation, that our national history went through, we, we will experience a spiritual depression due to the plague of plenty if we do not take a stand and guard against it. We certainly would not be the first to fall to this plague. I, I read to us an account this evening of the same plague in action. The children of Israel, after 400 years of, of slave labor, they continued to... It was brutal. And, and they find themselves now, as Moses is sent by God as their deliverer, they find themselves free. Granted, their freedom had resulted in an extended stay in the wilderness. You know, it is, it's sometimes, I don't want to use the word comical, but you know when a, a new convert or a, a, somebody just filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, is new in church and, and commits to holiness and righteousness, at, you know, a few weeks into this thing, they say, man, this is, this is a walk in the park. You know, I'm just living for God. I just walk along and pick up daisies and grab some chocolate-covered strawberries every now and then, and man. But 
For some of you who have been in this way a while, you can help me and amen me tonight that once you commit to this way of life, once you commit to holiness and righteousness and, and living for God day in, day out, you better, you better buckle up, buttercup, because hell is fixing to unleash itself on you. And when hell comes at you and, and can't shake you or can't cause you to stumble because you're standing strong for God, look out because he's coming for your family and he's going to try to take your family. And we have to guard against everything and every day from the enemy that strikes against us. It is, now it's just over two years that what we read this evening is the children is in this wilderness travel. And they have spent two years and now they have already forgot the 400 years of bondage. And when we come to Numbers 11, the people, they begin to, they, they start right out of the gate with, with telling a lie. They lie to themselves. They said, we, we had all the fish and all the melons and the garlic and the leeks in Egypt and, and we got all that stuff free. But, but that's a lie. We see that from the Word of God. They didn't get it for free. It came from the expense of being a slave. Uh, the feeling of that burn of the, of the whip on their backs, building houses and palaces that, that didn't belong to them. Nothing was free about what they received from the Egyptians. And that is the first step to a famine. We convince ourselves that the old days were better than they were. We, we allow memories to become more powerful than the moments that we are blessed with and experiencing right now. We miss the gift and the greatness of what we are now hearing, seeing, tasting, and living in because we glamorize the past. And I, I'm not speaking disrespectfully of, of what God has done in the past, but I, I believe if, if there was any of our elders here this evening that remember the time where there was no air conditioner, and I ask you this evening, would you, would you want to go back and live without air conditioner? I, I don't believe nobody would. The days of July summer nights having to go out on a porch and try to lay on the concrete so you might could cool off. We took several trips with my grandparents, Jennifer and I, and uh, I can remember one particular trip. I, I don't recall if we was in a restaurant or, or perhaps a rest area, but me and my grandfather, he had already made it to the sink, and when I got there, he looked somewhat perplexed, and I, I could tell he was a bit rattled. And I said, Grandpa, what's wrong? He said, well, I, I can't find where to turn the water on. I said, well, just wave your hand under it. And the water come on, you know, with a little eye that recognizes the movement of your hand. And, and he chuckled at that, but I couldn't help but think. Now here, here's a man that in his youth pumped from a pitcher pump to water livestock. He had to pump a pitcher pump to take a bath, to get water. And he has seen this change from, from pumping physically to just the wave of a hand. And you can't imagine that he would want to go back to anything different. We, we live a, a good life, but, but we've got to, we can't get hung up in the past and we've got to look forward and push to the future. So the result is, is we take, sometimes we take today for granted. If we're not careful, the spirit and the power that we just felt in praise and worship will take that for granted. If we're not careful. And, and notice what the scripture says this evening. The Israelites were privileged to eat, for the most part, this come from heaven. It's manna. I'm, I, it's like angel food cake every day. I mean, 
a delicacy at every meal. It would be something for me like eating donuts for breakfast, donuts for lunch, and donuts for supper. I mean, you just can't get any better than that. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to, they didn't have to water it. They didn't have to tend it. They didn't have to hoe it. They didn't have to harvest it. It's just there every day. Plenty of it. And the plague of plenty gives immediate birth to the prison of preference, which then fully develops into a widespread famine. Plenty, hear me ladies and gentlemen, plenty, having plenty, causes us to take for granted what we do have. And when we have plenty, if we're not careful, the first thing that happens when you have plenty is you become picky. How many eat at buffets? I love buffets. But you ever notice when you watch a, people walk up to the buffet line and they grab that first plate? And then first few, you know, up at Sisters, and they get the chicken and they get the shrimp. But as they move on and they've got plenty on their plate, the spoon starts tossing the macaroni and cheese around and flipping it and then they, the corn, you know, they, they, they've got plenty. So now they're getting picky about what they're going to eat. Where if it was just some chicken and some french fries, and that's all you had to choose from, you'd be a little bit more careful and, and be more cautious how you put it on your plate. And the, the children of Israel have so much manna that is, that is coming down that they begin to get picky. And they actually begin to long for bondage. They want to go back to where they was. They preferred the obvious plenty of the past rather than have to, to trust and depend on God. Every day of their lives, they become prisoners to their own preference. So much so that when they're blessed with something other than their desires, they rebel against it or they balk against it. And it's so sad, but... Uh, that's where a lot of people find themselves today. Mass production has resulted in diminished demand. We have so much now that we base our spiritual intake on preference rather than our necessity for substance. We're so exposed to worship that we sit on our hands and, and let those on the platform do our worshiping. We're so exposed to preaching that our eyes glaze over and our minds get distracted. We're so exposed to the presence of God that we, we can sometimes just ignore it or it's really, we, we can skip church without even a thought about it. And because we have plenty, it causes us to be more concerned about preference. That's why all over this country, right now, people are leaving churches merely based on the volume of the speakers. The dimness or the brightness of the lights, the temperature in the room, the color of the paint, the convenience. What does the church have to offer me? The church has become more like a flavor of the month than the house of God where salvation is received, miracles performed, and, and the lives of individuals and families restored and renewed. One author said this in a statement, and I think it is so adequately true, and, and it's what we must fight against. He said, when the preference of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. So if preference for style becomes more important to us than experience in his present, and if comfort becomes more paramount in our mind, we're dying. 
we're in trouble if it bothers us more that the worship team didn't sing our favorite song this week more than it bothers us that no one received the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in other tongues we're in trouble and we're dying if we disconnect when others are praying for salvation or for deliverance whether it be one of our own saints or a guest and we say well this is just routine and it's more or less a waste of time of service if we get to that point we're in trouble and we're dying what what do we have an abundance of I ask us that tonight as our musicians come what what do we have an abundance of if we're not careful that abundance will lead to a loss of appetite Solomon Solomon had abundance of riches his his life is the study of of the plague of plenty he lacked nothing. He had an abundance of wealth. He had an abundance of pleasure. He had an abundance of influence. He had an abundance of acclamation. And that abundance, that having plenty, was so dangerous to Solomon that it caused him to lose his appetite for holiness and righteousness. And I'm not preaching tonight against plenty, but I'm saying when plenty becomes dangerous, we better back up and reevaluate our lives and our walk with God. You go and read his lament in Ecclesiastes when he says it's all foolishness, folly, and all empty. And you discover that, that for Solomon, the plague of plenty resulted in a famine in his life. Are, are we plagued tonight? Ask ourselves the question. Let's, let's, if, I could, if I could respectfully make this an individual thing, ask yourself the question. Are you plagued? Has the abundance of worship and the abundance of God moving in our services caused you to take the moments of His powerful presence for granted? Has the abundance of plenty of the preached Word, because we hear some great preaching has it resulted in, in me or you becoming distracted when the word goes forth thinking, you know, I'll check in from time to time and get me a little nugget or, or a little tidbit. Has the blessing of fellowship and a relationship with our brothers and sisters that, that we have at this church been cast aside without a second thought simply because we're full. We've, we've got plenty. So committed to comfort and convenience that it causes us to develop the attitude, I, I'd just rather stay at home with me and mine than, than actually working at or, or going out of our way to rub elbows with the people of God and, and the people that God has put in our life. Has preference become paramount? And has preference become king in our life? If, if we had very little, we, we wouldn't be so picky where we once was in a mad and desperate pursuit of the presence of God every time we came to His house, but, but now we've tasted so much of the power of God that it's, it's easy to become content with just getting it from time to time. What happens or what would happen if God was still using something that you have grown bored or tired of? If manna is still the means by which he desires to fill us and we have a preference for fish, what kind of message are we sending back to God? I want to avoid the plague so that I can avoid the famine. Now, I don't, I'm not talking to, I don't want to lack. I don't want to lack. I enjoy the, the blessings and the benefits of God. So how do we balance the two? How, how do we walk that fine line where we don't stray too far? What is the solution? 
I'm glad you asked this evening. And if you don't hear nothing I say tonight, I'm going to ask you to hear this. And if you're a note taker, I'll say this twice so you can write it down. But as individuals, it must first start within ourselves. But as individuals and as a church, we commit to pursue His presence rather than get locked up in a prison of preference. Let me say that again. We commit to pursue His presence rather than get locked up in a prison of preference. What do you mean, Jerry? I don't care if they're not singing what I like. I'm going to try to touch heaven. I don't care if I've heard this verse before, if I've heard this message before. I want to get something from God to help me make it through every day. When we pursue the presence of God, I simply want to challenge us this evening. And could it be that we are experiencing a plague of plenty? Could it be that we are on the verge of a full-scale famine simply because we are so blessed that we are now only mindful of the preferred blessings. We, we want to pick and choose what God blesses us with. Could our wants have become more important than our needs? As we stand across this house, may God shake us from the slumber and apathy and renew our appetite before we starve while pushing away steak. We are in this moment... This is the same place as the rich young ruler was. We are faced with a decision. Plenty or his presence. If I am right and a famine is knocking at the door of this apostolic, Pentecostal way of life, then may we throw off our appetite and affection for comfort and routine and status quo and pursuit pursue the presence of God as if our very lives depended on it. Let me say that again. Pursue the presence of God as if our very lives depended on it. Because our lives do depend on the presence of God. Our families depend on the presence of God. Our future depends on the presence of God. This church depends on the presence of God. We depend on the presence of God. Without it, Without it, we are in trouble and we are a dying church. Tonight, if I could just make this uh, individually, if you would just make an altar where you're standing. They're going to close out this service in a, in a song. This is not about praying for somebody else or laying hands on somebody else, but for the next few minutes, could we just individually ask ourselves the question, God, have I, has this become routine to me? Has, has your presence, has your power, is it... Have I got too much that I just want to take a little bit here and there? Let's pray across this house. Father, we love you and we thank you tonight. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.